You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Joseph, how did this project come together? Uh, Tom and I met uh, when I was making the documentary Nightmares in Red, White, and Blue. He was one of the interviewees. And uh, we, we talked with the camera rolling for, for about two hours and talked a lot about horror movies and sort of veered off into a lot of other stories at times, details of his life and details of projects that I, that I didn't know a whole lot about. Um, and it was, it was fascinating enough that when we ran out of tape and uh, when I had everything I needed for the horror documentary, I, I just still really wanted to keep talking and to, to hear more about his life and about his other projects. So I, so I conned him into, uh, into giving me a, quite a bit of time and telling me his, his life story. And um, the, the more we talked, the more apparent it became that, that uh, there was a book in it. Tom, what did you think of this idea of doing a book with Joseph? Well, when Joe first brought it up, my first question was, why? Uh, because I didn't look at myself as any, uh, obviously, household name, much less anybody that was you know, really known in one particular genre or the next. And that sort of was what my goal was at a certain point in my life is that my, you know, one of my big heroes was Howard Hawks and he was always jumping genres. You know, you would do a Western, then you would do a comedy, then you do a musical and then you do a drama. And I started out obviously in horror and, um, part of that was because nobody was interested in buying comedy screenplays. So I, you know, I went ahead and wrote something based on what I thought was a scary idea coming from spending uh, a few hours in the uh, catacombs and, you know, below Paris and pulled that movie together. And then, of course, it was about another five years before I got the next project, which I could put comedy into, which was the Friday the 13th movie. So after, you know, that, I went into romantic comedies, uh, finally, that I really wanted to do <laughs> Date by an Angel. But unfortunately, Dino De Laurentiis' company went bankrupt before we opened, like a week before we opened. And uh, so I was kind of back to doing horror again because I was, you know, better known than that. But it was television, you know, the, I don't know, 37, 38 movies I did that each one that I tried to do something else with but at the same time the tv movies so where was any real notoriety but what joe brought up is like well filmmakers all have these different roads usually out of film school and i didn't do film school and i kind of went from starting making movies when i was seven to going into rock and roll when the beatles hit in 62 to going to paris and working with marcel marceau and coming back and touring as a, you know, mime, doing physical comedy, and then writing sketches that led me back into the movies of when I wanted to make a film. And then from then on, I just kind of stayed, you know, within the film genre. I have to say that first section of the book where you kind of encapsulate that whole trip from childhood into the the uh, filmmaking and then this and then that and then going to Paris and and coming back and then working your way into the showbiz and everything. I'm just like, this is incredible. This is more living than a lot of people do in a lifetime. And you're like in your 20s when you're getting into this stuff. It's like, oh my gosh, how did this happen to this one guy is the rock and roller mime actor director guy now. 
Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I, it, it really is strange because you're just going along and you're doing what you're doing. And, you know, every so often somebody stops you and goes, you know, how did you get here? And then when you start to talk about it, you go, yeah, that is kind of weird how I got here. But at the same time, I, I'm so far from having it, you know, over that it's like, to me, it's still, you know, I'm still on that road. You know, the adventure continues. And um, obviously you've read the, you know, the book by, by <laughs> I get to the last part and I go, and I'm not done after I die. I still have things planned. So it's, you know, for me, it's, there's always something new to discover, to try, to go for. And uh, just the path that, you know, you end up taking is anything but normal. Joe, I want to ask you a little nuts and bolts question here as far as did you record everything and then have to transcribe all of this stuff? And, and how did you go? Sorry, it's a two-parter. How did you go about tracking down all of the movies that Tom has done? We, yeah, we, we did. Um, I, actually, I guess I tracked down uh, the movies first. And, and uh, you know, YouTube was a big help. Uh, you know, you can you, – actually, you can find pretty much – everything on the internet. I don't think I did find everything. I think Tom, you had to actually help me with some of those that you had had copies of. Um, I think like leave of absence. I don't think I, I found on my own and there were a few, but, um, but you know, in the, in the age of the internet, you can find just, just about anything. And uh, we, we talked through uh, everything individually, every project individually. And yeah, recorded all of the conversations. Um, you know, I brought them back, I transcribed them. And then I, I sort of ordered uh, everything after the fact. I mean, we really didn't talk about the the movies in order. We would always start each each day talking about things in order, and then we would we would we would ramble and stray and get pretty far afield. And so, a lot of putting the book together um, was uh, was was just kind of taking what we talked about and then putting it in order and editing it. So, of course, it as a finished book, it looks like uh, it it looks like a pretty smooth, straightforward chronological conversation. And and in fact. You know, the book would be three times uh, that that length if I had just put everything in there, and 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 it uh, would be all over the place. So, uh, you know, it, it it took a fair amount of work. Whenever whenever I do any project, really for me, it's just about obsession. You know, you just you you pick a topic that that you can get obsessed with, and you just you know you you delve into it. And I was fascinated by the way that that all of these different facets of Tom's life ended up connecting. I mean, just as a simple example, the the, the Marcel Marceau, all the, all the mime work. Um, I, I, you know, I remember he had done uh, a few different interviews for Friday the 13th documentaries and was talking about how his, his background in mime had, had uh, influenced the way that Jason moves in the Friday, the way he does kind of a head tilt in the Friday the 13th movie. And I, and I think that, that, that idea of, of you never know where the inspiration or the influence is going to come from. Everything he's done is really sort of, Inter- interconnected and so that one large story was really what I was going after how does this all connect what's the the creative process that ties together uh, all these projects that seem so different but they're really coming from the same person and I think that really kind of comes through in the book I think you did a great job of it feels like you guys sat down on day one and just started at the beginning and, and went from there so it's not like your conversations were in real life. It feels like it flows completely naturally. And the way that you build upon each film, I love the way that you kind of go through them individually and and pull out these things and are able to tie things back to other projects. It's fascinating. 
yeah, Joe was actually more of a of a psychologist and um you know, had more insight into me than I ever had, nor anybody I've ever gone to going, you know, what the hell's wrong with me? You know, or what, you know, give me some insight into my, and it, you know, because he took the time to look at all the work as no one else had. And he saw, you know, the things that were similar, he saw themes that were repeated. He saw certain things like, you know, why the, you know, I noticed you repeated a red Mustang a couple of times. And I was like, well, yeah, I went to the Monterey pop festival and we drove up in a red Mustang. And it's like, yeah, anytime I had a chance for a car, that would be the first thing that would come into my mind. And there was just, you know, a whole blocks where it was, you know, teenage stuff when I was going through, obviously working, um, working out what it's to be a parent in the teen days. And so all my focus was on that at home. And so when I was offered, you know, two or three movies, I picked the one that seemed to have the best, you know, response in terms of what I was going through or what I felt I wanted to know more about which is the best thing I can say about doing all those TV movies. It's not that you get much notoriety or respect out of it, but boy, you can, you know, cover all these subjects that, you know, now you get paid to go and do your research and go, all right, I'm going to get into the life of the DC sniper, you know, and see what that relationship was like. And, you know, and, or anybody that imitated any kind of, uh, you know, horrible act that, that, you know, murder mystery or murder, um, uh, thriller, what am I trying to say? Crime, you know, true crime thing. You know, you talk to the, the real people, you talk to the people that were, that imitated them on death row, and you would get this just incredible insight into worlds that, you know, you never would, much less get paid to, you know, for the, you know, for the act of doing it. So it, it really is fascinating from the standpoint that Joe just tied all this stuff together uh, in a way that I went, really? Oh, okay. But I also got to say, I got very depressed at the end of the process because for the first time, truly, you know, for months, I sat down and looked backwards, um, which I normally don't do. I'm always going, what's next? What's next? And to suddenly, you know, do that, I, you know, and as much as it was, wow, all these things happened, it was like, gee, I still haven't done what I really want to do. What's that? I don't know. But, you know, it, it was that kind of, okay, all right, all right, all right, what, what else, what else, what else, you know. But it did throw me into a, a, a real tizzy, which was interesting. And, uh, you know, now that the book's done and there, it's like, okay, <laughs> you want to know what I did on my summer vacation of the last 64 years? There you go. Um, but there's, to me, the excitement of what's, what's still to come is what kind of you know, drives you on every morning. Now, I'm sure you have a lot of fans when it comes to, you know, you could probably walk into a horror convention and people are just going to go nuts. You know, oh, my God, it's the guy who did, you know, Jason Lives and he did Freddy's Nightmares and all this kind of stuff. What about the other fans? What are some of the other people that come up to you and say, I loved your work on this? What are what are they coming up to and complimenting you on? Well, now being in the rock and roll world again after 45 years, um, you know, we, we do these shows all around L.A. And, you know, we were, I've gone from really being about my work, you know, being, you know, invisible behind the camera, you know, you very, very rarely ever see me do a cameo in any of the movies. I just had no interest to be in front of the camera, no interest to get back on stage again. And then when this rock and roll thing happened, now I'm kind of, I'm the movie, you know, I'm like, okay, how do we publicize this thing? You know, how do we get this guy out there? How do we, you know, do go to this club, do that? 
we just, um, which I haven't even told uh, Joe this yet, but I mean, we, we just got um, uh, not officially signed, but we're doing an album going into the recording studio in uh, October and recording a full album of all of our original songs, which again, it's like, that was like a dream when I was 16, 17, but probably would never happen, but wouldn't that be great? You know, and then suddenly all these years later, you know, we're doing it. And it's purely because we kept putting ourselves out there and being seen. And when I go to some of these clubs now, you know, somebody will come up and go, hey, sloth, you know, or, you know, hey, man, I love what you did out there. You're, you know, you've got, you do some crazy shit, man. I go, yeah, thanks. Um, you know, crazy. It's it's crazy because, you know, the age I'm doing it at to me, but not so much crazy what I'm doing. But um, it, it, it. It is wonderful to get acknowledged for that, and the thing that still, you know, has gotten bigger and bigger every year is the Friday the Thirteenth thing, and that's because you know I was part of a iconic period for monsters, um, and we didn't think that at the time. You know, we it was sort of like you know these guys aren't as cool as Frankenstein or Dracula or the Wolfman or the Mummy or you know any of the things that we grew up watching on TV, but to this generation that that was their monsters um you know it's like oh my god you know you you did that thing and it's sort of like yeah so it's like oh man that changed my life changed your life oh yeah man i can't go and it was a piece of entertainment you know i look at those movies like a roller coaster ride if you have a fun time on it great you know then you go back to your life but a lot of people you know they they just obsess it's it's amazing how much fan mail i get now and Facebook friends and all this stuff over something that was at the time just a job. Do you ever get like hardcore date with an angel fans that are coming up to you? Not as much. Those are much more unusual in that um, I was at a magic. Uh, I was at the Magic Castle one night, and uh, the, one of the magicians who performed came up to me afterwards and said, "You're the Tom McLaughlin that did Date with an Angel," and I said, "Yeah." And he said, you know, that's my mother's favorite film. We grew up having to watch that movie every holiday, every Thanksgiving, every Christmas. Every... I said, you're kidding me. He said, no, she just loves this movie. Is there any chance, you know, you could talk to her? And I said, sure, whenever. And he said, I'll call her right now. <laughs> so, you know, I'm on the phone with this this woman who just went on and on and, you know, knew all these details about the movie and things. And um I said, well, why don't I send you some stuff and, and things? And uh, he said, that would be great. So I did. And then he sent me a tape later when she was literally on her deathbed. And she was going through these things and talking to me and looking forward to finally meeting her angel. And she knows it's going to be as beautiful as the one that was in the movie. And you're sitting there going, oh, my God. And, you know, who, who would ever think a movie, you know, that, again, was a Frank Capra type romantic comedy would suddenly be like so important to someone's life and what they look forward to when, when they pass on. And he said to me, yeah, that, that movie really was what kind of kept her going many, many times. It, it somehow was her touchstone, but you know, I would have never thought that in a million years, you know, it was just a, as I said, a romantic comedy. And then that I just wanted Frank Capper to see it and give us a quote, which he did, but it was, you know, it's the strange thing about movies. I was fascinated by you growing up so close to the movies and kind of being integrated into Hollywood just by your location when you were a kid. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 
you know, the Catholic school I went to, St. Timothy's, was literally two blocks from 20th Century Fox. So, we, you know, that was also part of, you know, going and feeling, you know, close to that world and those those, those big, big uh, backlots that they used to have, you know, weren't that difficult to get into in, the, in those days on the weekend. And so it was always sort of like a place where you would play and, you know, say, yeah, one day I'm going to make something in here. But they tore so many of those things down that, you know, and now, of course, movies go to any place but Hollywood in, in an attempt to save money. I wanted to ask about a couple of your projects, and I know you weren't necessarily completely uh, into it. You're you're in an acting capacity, but also doing some of the mime stuff. I wanted to know, what was it like on the set of The Black Hole? I really enjoyed the experience, other than being bored and frustrated about how much sitting around, uh, I would beg people to say, can I just pull some cable here or help something? You know, it's like, nope, nope, can't do that in a union. But it was a lot of, you know, waiting for things to happen uh, on that and prophecy, any of the movies where I was like a quote stunt actor, you know, inside of a suit or whatever. On, on that one, I was also choreographing, you know, the, the robot sentries and the humanoid characters and doing some of this like stunt fight stuff, um, you know, with, with uh, Robert Forrester and Yvette Mignot. And yet there was like this, you know, I here I am at Disney, which was like a huge deal to me and getting paid to be there and, you know, on a movie that everybody involved was sort of going, well, I don't think this is going to work. Uh, you know, Disney was regretted that they didn't say yes to George Lucas and Star Wars years ago. So now they're doing one, but it doesn't feel like it's going to be the same thing. And there's been so many imitators. So there was a little of that kind of doom and gloom about what they're actually going to have at the end of the day. And the movie wasn't terribly you know, successful when it came out. But now, you know, it has fallen into that same category of like, oh, I saw that when I was a little kid, you know, that scared me or that was so cool or whatever. It has taken on, you know, a whole nother, you know, value so much so, you know, they're going to remake it. I'm sure they're going to make probably a much better, you know, movie. And I hope so um, off that same idea. But it was kind of like. You know, you're going through it, you're happy you're working on a movie, but you really didn't have a whole lot of hope that it was going to, you know, be any kind of blockbuster at all. And Disney was in their transition period, too. You know, Walt was gone. Uh, you know, the son-in-law uh, was running the place. You know, he was a football guy. And, you know, what did he know from running this other he was related? Um, and it was, you know, I guess a couple of years before, you know, the new regime came in there and everything, you know, changed with Splash. Wasn't your character kind of improvised, Tom, that the Captain Star was that? Captain Star was interesting. Yeah, Gary Nelson, the director, who was a really nice guy and uh, a great comedy director in, in TV doing this thing. He saw the way I would demonstrate moves and things to the other actors um, that were playing the robots, and he goes, we're going to write a scene for you. I said, what? He said, yeah, I got this great idea, and I'm going to talk to the writers about it, you know, and you know, kind of tie in the, the game idea with, with robot and stuff. And I, I don't know if they hoped that this would turn into some sort of game, you know, like later on they did with Tron and things. But, uh, yeah, they, they concocted this thing and then kind of said, all right, show me some of the different tricks you do in terms of spinning arms or whatever. And then they made the suit out of a much more uh, rubbery material so that I could bend a little easier than, the, you know, the uh, 
hard uh, shell that the other robot suits were. So yeah, there was you know a fair amount of, of improvising, but more kind of improvising. Well, here's this, but how can we work that into the you know into the bit with you know the little shootout there? So it it was like nothing that was scripted and kind of came in you know once once I was there, which for a huge budget movie like that is pretty unusual because they usually you know don't veer off, and I'm sure they must have been over budget because these things always are. So it was it was kind of a, a nice compliment. I love the story that you tell about the prophecy and um, kind of trying to help out on set with that. Yeah, you definitely had much more of a independent spirit um, while you're working on these uh, not independent films. Well, jo- you know, Joe will tell you too that all these guys that you know he talks to too, we're all sort of in that. Gee, we just want to make a cool movie. And if you're doing other things in the beginning of your career, there's always that. What I really want to be doing is, you know, in the in the, the hot seat there, making decisions. And you know, each guy kind of approaches it from either they come up through editing or they come up through camera or they, you know, I mean, he's, he knows much more about everybody else's backgrounds than I do. But you know, you you do go through that period of just wanting to be around it and wanting to not cross a line, but, you know, let them know, you know, something. Joe, what were some of your biggest challenges on this book? Cause it seems like Tom's pretty easy to get along with. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't think we had any trouble uh, sitting and talking. Um, I mean, you know, I think a book like this, the, the, the only real um, challenge is, is, you know, it's a lot of, it's a lot of time and, and, and um, you know, a lot of energy. I mean, you, you know, for, well, at least for, the way that I would want to do it, I mean, I'm, I'm, I really think there's, there's a kind of a, you know, a, a lost art to, uh, to an interview where you, you know, I, I can't imagine really wanting to interview somebody that, that you don't kind of care about their life and care about their process and really want to get inside their head and want to know, you know, what, what do you think about politics? What do you think about religion? You know, why? Or just, I, I have so many questions if I'm really interested in a subject matter, and so it's. You know, in a way, the hardest part is is just kind of reining it all in, and and um, you know that that you you want to kind of cover, you want to get every bit of information you can, and then you have to organize it. And I'm I'm sort of OCD enough to um, to, to want to do that. And so I, you know, I guess you know, I, I guess it's that some people would would look at that as sort of an overwhelming challenge. And for me, it's it's you know, I have nothing but enthusiasm to do something like that. So I. Um, you know, I, I certainly don't, you know, look look at this book as as any any kind of hardship or, um, you know, there's 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 nothing I regret about it. I mean, I kind of look at it and say, boy, this was this was, you know, for for me as the writer was like a, you know, was like a free film school. I mean, it really is, you know, you're you're looking at somebody who um, has made so many different movies, so many different types of movies in different roles uh, under different circumstances. Um, you know, and, and he, he you know, a, a lot of them are assignments. I mean, a lot of them were jobs where it, it may not be the story or the subject matter that he chose, but, but he, he, you know, in every case he finds a way in, you know, he finds a way to personalize it, finds a way to care about it. Um, you know, and that, that I think is, is probably, uh, more helpful to people who want to be in the business and want to be doing that to, to see how somebody can do that. Than, than a lot of the books that are out there that are studying somebody who's really just making uh, films in one genre. Um, you know, somebody who 
who, who sort of fits what, what most people think of with that, that auteur label, um, that they're really just making one, one type of film and that they're able to kind of dictate their terms. Um, you know, a, a lot of people, that's, that's not the case. In fact, the vast majority of people in the business, that's not the case. You, you know, it, it is a business and things get handed to you and you have to kind of find, find your way and find a way um, to do the job, but also to care about it. Because if you don't care about it, the audience isn't going to. I was really impressed by the way Tom would personalize stuff with the way that you would use your family and just having your kids and your wife around all the time. I I thought it was great and it was wonderful to hear the way that they would react to these projects and the way that they would kind of be integrated into them sometimes. I think I mentioned that in the book that it was something that Francis Ford Coppola happened to say to me in passing, you know, because you always, if you got anywhere close to anybody that you admired, it's like, you know, what can you tell a young director? And it's so weird for me to be on that side of it now, having people writing me and, you know, would you answer just a few questions or now that I'm teaching at a film school at, at Dodge College, you know, this semester I've got, you know, 40 young filmmakers and they all want to know how do you do it, you know, and I'm I'm going in to them saying, well, look, let's see how you want to do it. And let's see that you've probably got a better idea than a lot of us out here that don't know anymore <laughs> or we think we know. And, and the times keep changing and, you know, no one really knows. But it's it's that thing that that piece of advice when you have a family, I've seen so many, you know, marriages fall apart, you know, because you're always away, you know, making these things. It's an obsessive thing, particularly if you're the director. Um, phone calls are going day and night, you know, people need answers. I didn't know how I was going to exist in the middle of that maelstrom because I'm a fairly, you know, I don't want to say shy, but I'm not very social. I don't go to parties. I don't network. I don't, I've never been able to do any of that. It just, just isn't me. But once I get the project, then it's everything. I mean, it's like I eat, breathe, sleep, think of it. I, I remember there was one point I was on, I can't remember what film it was, um, something I was doing in Canada, but I was taking a shower and as I was showering, I suddenly was thinking I was showering as the lead actor would, you know, his character would be and what he would be thinking. It wasn't anything I was consciously trying to do, but it was one of those moments where, yeah, I guess with my acting background, I just really want to kind of put on the skin of whoever it is I'm directing and hopefully we can get in sync with the intentions of what this character should be doing or thinking or, you know, where their decision-making comes. And the same thing with how the camera moves, how the art director, you know, what colors go on the palette, how much furniture or lack of furniture is in a place. All those decisions suddenly became very exciting to be, you know, part of. So to then have to go back to a hotel room um, alone, you know, you just obsess with it. But once the family would come up and I kind of made them part of the deal when I got to a certain point, then it was like suddenly like, bang, now I'm in, involved in, you know, okay, tell your father what you did today. You know, on all the just day-to-day, you know, problems of having a family and raising kids and things. And yet also on the days off, you know, we could go and do something together as a family. And usually it was really something unusual because we were in, you know, um, Auckland, Auckland, New Zealand or New Orleans or, you know, London or wherever, you know, we were making the movie. So the kids got a a really special 
type of education. And Nancy, my wife, was very great about taking them to museums and, you know, Shakespeare's home or whatever. So they, they got a lot of stuff that made me feel like, okay, they're really being taken care of in the best way um, while I'm, you know, off making this movie. And whenever I could pull them in, because none of them other than Nancy wanted to be necessarily in the movies, but they, they didn't mind if I said, well, could you do this for me? And they would just kind of come in and do it. So it all sort of ended up working. Are they still working in the films or, or my daughter actually she's turning twenty four tomorrow. Can't believe that. She didn't want to have anything to kinda of do. She wanted to be a veterinarian. And then at a certain point that sort of oh, I mean you gotta like open up animals and you gotta do all it's not just petting them and taking care of them. So that goal went and now she's um actually working as a like a co producer on music videos. Uh, having just spent two years working as a producer or for two producers as their assistant on the TV show Glee. So she had a very nice situation where she could you know, go to Paramount every, every day and have a you know regular paycheck and be around, you know, what was at the time a hit show. And she, you know, basically they started letting people go as the show, you know, as it goes into its last season. Now they don't even know, you know how it's going to survive. So she's, back on the streets, okay, what do I do next? So she's grabbing anything she can, you know, very much like what I did, um, working as a you know, costumer, working in, you know, as a producer, working as a unit production manager. My son Shane went through film school. Uh, he did Chapman, where I'm now teaching, and he's been working mainly as a key PA or a third assistant director, and he's doing this big feature um, in... Uh, Albuquerque with uh, Josh Brolin and Emily uh, Blunt and Benicio Del Toro. And just before that, he did some Mel Gibson movie. And, you know, he's he's gone from project to project. He's not doing what he wants to do, which is write and get, you know, a screenplay sold. But that's just like wanting to be an actor. It's like you have to keep doing it and doing it. And then suddenly one day somebody goes, hey, you, come on in here. We want you. And if you take a regular type job in the film industry, you know, you're getting your rear end beat every day, you know, till, you know, eight, sometimes 18 hours a day. And, you know, to go home and try to work on something, write something, it's like, it's really next to impossible. So he's trying to figure out at this age, how do, how do you, I, how do I do both? You know, how do I make an income and be around the movie industry, which he loves and, still do what he really wants to do is you know be a writer and then eventually direct what he has written how has been the reception to the book actually the, what what popped into my head is tom was talking just then was uh we just got a review like a week ago and I, now, now i need to pull it up because i'm going to misquote it but um i i thought that the way that the reviewer ended the the review was like the perfect one sentence uh, review or, or pitch for the book, per perfect sales pitch. She said, um, it's the perfect demonstration of how the industry favors those who go out and work hard in any capacity, as opposed to those who just sit around and wait for opportunities to show up at their doorstep. I mean, that's, that's really, that, that really kind of sums up Tom's career. It's just, you know, you, you, um, <laughs> he may have been on the, on, on the set, you know, with John Frankenheimer trying to, 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 direct prophecy, but that, that, that wasn't, you know, keeping him from being the guy in the, you know, in the, the bear suit. I mean, it was sort of, a, I, I want to be, 
doing this. I want to be in entertainment. I want to be in film. And, and, you know, you, you get into it however you can. I mean, you snitch when I was doing the project with Lance Henriksen, uh, you know, his book, he wanted to start out with that anecdote. That's just, you know, they don't invite you into this industry. You have to, you have to sneak in through the back door. Um, and that's, you know, you know, in a way that's, that's what the beginning certainly of, of the book is about yeah. is, is just, you know, you, if, if you can do something else, uh, you know, and, and kind of live with yourself, do something else because it's, it's hard <laughs> to get to where you want to be. And some people don't, but, uh, but if this is really what you want to do, then you, you know, you do whatever you have to do. And that's kind of what the book is about. So I think that, you know, the people who are really responding to it are responding to that, that it is, you know, it is inspirational. I mean, it's, it's, um, you know, people who are out there trying to do what they're passionate about certainly, you know, certainly understand that and can relate to the story. So, Tom, what are you working on now? In a world of learning that you can kind of go back and redo things that you didn't quite do or finish the way you wanted to finish, like with the rock and roll career, um, that's been going on far more actively than I ever, ever anticipated um, that we keep doing shows almost weekly. And um, as I said earlier, that we're going to actually go in and we've, we've already recorded a couple songs that are on iTunes and and uh, all those usual places. But, you know, this would be an album, which, you know, we have all these songs that we're working on for that, which are very kind of representative of where either where I am right now, um, like one of the songs is called, you know, Before I Die, which is sort of the exact opposite of Hope I Die Before I Get Old from my generation. And it's, you know, it's all about all the things that you want to get done, you know, um, you know, before you go. And then at the same time, doing songs that we would have done had the band kept going, you know, past 16 years of, of age. So we've got songs, you know, that just have a lot of like punk kind of attitude about them. Although what I call, you know, rebel rock was, you know, what punk sort of became with the Ramones and so on. But, you know, we were doing these things about, you know, want a new life and uh, I'm at the end of my rope. And, uh, you know, this, this isn't about love. This is lust. So it's that sort of edgy teen, you know, way too much testosterone kind of attitude, which is coming from somebody that, you know, should have been let that all go, but it's still somehow in there. That being said, I mean, one of the things that I've been spending a lot of time is trying to get the rights back from the very first film I did, One Dark Night, because I never felt I accomplished that the way I wanted to. And to get a shot to remake something that you've, you know, made initially with a lot of innocence of, oh, okay. And then find a lot of people just love that movie. Oh, you know, don't, don't touch that. Oh, there's great. Go, yeah, but this is corny. It takes too long to get going. It's like, well, no, no, we don't mind that. We don't mind. But to me, I, I do, because it's not the movie I wanted to make. It was the movie I could make at that time. And that's how much I, I knew. So finally tracking down the rights and working towards that is another kind of going backwards, but sort of re-envisioning it with all the sensibilities that I now have after making, you know, 40, 40 something films. And at the same time, being very conscious of the fact of I can't lose the claustrophobic aspect to it. I can't lose the gothic quality to it. I have to make it, you know, more about the characters, but See if there's a way to deepen things without slowing it down and also 
visually coming up with things that we just couldn't afford to do then. And I don't mean CGI because I, I, I have no interest in that. Um, it's more about doing in-camera effects, but you know, just stuff that we haven't seen hopefully in quite in this context before. Between all that um, is, you know, teaching now, um, having, as I said earlier, all, all these students that I'm, I now feel I, I have to mentor in some capacity. Um, I just feel like if I come in and I enter into your life and you're asking me to be, to trust, you know, or, or I'm asking you to trust me and what it is that I'm trying to share with you. Um, I've got to look at myself as a mentor, whether they want to listen or not, it's up to them. But I know at that time period and still to this day, if somebody says, can I tell you something about the business? It's like, yeah, yeah. Tell me something. You know, I, you know, you, it's usually you're going to get the same answers, but every so often somebody will put it in a different context or a different way. And I think one of the best pieces of advice that I have to use on a weekly basis is something that my son's first film teacher in high school said to his students, and these are like, you know, high school kids, you know, don't do this, guys, unless you can't not do it. It is just too much pain. It's just too much rejection. You know, I wanted to make it. I'm now teaching this in, in high school. I don't begrudge that, but, you know, at a certain point, I realized, you know, I could live without this if I had to. But those are the people who make it, and you just you just can't not do it. There's just you know it might take you, you know, twenty thirty years to, to to get it done. But at the same time, whatever you're doing, then they go like they used to say to me, you know, hey, the guy, you know, you in the bear suit, you know, what are you gonna do next? I'm gonna direct a movie. The guy in the bear suit, he's <laughs> gonna direct a movie, you know. And it's it didn't make me mad. It just went, yeah, I could understand him not thinking that's logical. But for me, I can't not do it. I got to do it. I got to find a way to do it. And you just keep going. And my plans for the afterlife are the same way. I, I have very strong feelings about what bioenergy is and what you can do and what ghosts really are. And as much as this has created such a disaster in my relationship with my wife, with her belief system, I can't not do it. I have to do this thing. I have to leave behind something that I think hasn't really been done quite like this. And if it has, I'm not aware of it, but I'm still seeking it out because I just think there's there's always something new that's it's entertainment. Ultimately, it's getting you out of the day to day routine and going, boy, I thought I was crazy or boy, I thought I had problems or I, you know, whatever it is that when you surrender yourself to somebody else's vision about something or, or story, you just you, you go someplace else. And I've I've loved that in my life when a movie had a scene or something that just rang so true that I found the rest of my life I'd get into situations and suddenly that would come into my mind and go, yeah, I can get through this, you know. And so I'm I'm hoping to keep doing that sort of stuff, finding things, things I don't even know yet what they are, but keep pursuing until you know the road finally stops. But then, as I said, the body may stop, but the energy is going to continue. How about you, Joe? What are you working on now? Uh, well, I have a. a second new book out in in addition to a strange idea of entertainment i have a book out called beyond fear that really covers in depth the the uh, careers of, of stephen king and wes craven and then uh, also has a shorter essay on george romero um i'm i'm really proud of that one and i'm i'm actually just starting a new book project that i'm not ready to to quite 
start talking about yet because I don't want to jinx myself, but I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm already kind of neck deep in a new obsession, so I'm uh, I'm I'm in a I'm in a good place. Is there a website or anything for the book, or where should people go to find out more information and pick up copies? Obviously, the easiest thing is going to Amazon. Dot com and that you know uh, a strange idea of entertainment is there in both print and um, Kindle, and then I created a Facebook page that also has you know some pictures from the book as well as some of the stuff that didn't get in the book, um, uh, just because of the you know like as Joe said this thing would be like a thousand pages long put in every story and every other weird thing that I did and the photos that go along with it. Uh, but yeah, on, on, your, uh, on Facebook, a strange idea of entertainment um, is, is there for uh, those who, you know, want to get some small, small pieces of it. Well, cool. Well, Hey, I will be sure to link over to that via our website, projection booth.com where folks can go over and like the Facebook page and hit Amazon and pick up a copy of this. Like I said, it's just, an amazing story and to read it, it was, it was an honor to read this book just because I had no idea of how much of a depth your career had and just the way that it built upon itself is just fantastic. So this was a really, really terrific read. And I, I want to thank Joe for sending me over a copy because this is great. Well, I want to thank Joe too, because he, you know, without his, you know, desire to uh, something that he could not not do was get this thing done. And he really, he stayed on it and he worked so hard, you know, making this thing happen and, and the editing and everything that he pieced together. I mean, I kind of forever and into forever, you know, owe him a great you know debt of gratitude. Thanks guys for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Mike. Thank you. Good, 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 good.